is Mackenzie. Hey, this is Owen. Don't forget to like our show and subscribe. This podcast is brought to you by the Loving Kindness Project Foundation. What is one thing that you could do to think, speak, or act kindly today? Go to lovingkindnessproject.org to learn more. If you want to continue the conversation from the show, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash we are the ADHD family. Or if you're on Spotify, ask the poll question. The episode starts at 1 minute 15 seconds. Or just hit your fast forward button once or twice. Welcome to We Are the ADHD Family Podcast. This podcast is meant to chronicle our journey with ADHD, autism, and other discoveries along the way. I reach out to advocates, experts, individuals, and other families that want to raise their voices and empower those on their journey. My name is Mark Smeets. I am married to Siobhan, a parent to two wonderful kids, and all of us have ADHD. I want you to feel like you have power and hope. So I don't have a funny story offhand to start the episodes with like I normally do, but I do have something I think that's a bit more interesting. So there is a person I follow on Twitter. His handle is ADHD Jesse, and uh, he made a he posted a quote this morning, and I saw it and it really kind of resonated. Um, Sometimes ADHD makes you feel like you could build a rocket ship with popsicle sticks and optimism, and that hit. That really landed. The first thing that came to my mind was leadership. I just thought the timing of this was interesting too. So to me, this is what can make ADHDers really, 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 really good leaders. Much like any leadership, if you're neurotypical or whatever. Um, You don't have to be the one that knows how to do everything. That's not what a good leader does. And quite honestly, it's impossible to know how to do everything. So perhaps the challenge for some of us um, is to work on accepting that piece. Work on accepting that we don't know how to do everything. But if you can take that optimism, drive, and use that to inspire others, to be their best, where everybody seems to share vision, goals, ideas, then that's a team I want to be on. Because you're asking others to bring their best. You're not micromanaging them. I saw a term the other day from a friend. Um, she called it macromanaging. <laughs> you're letting others bring your their skills, and you're not the one telling them how to do things. You can certainly check up and say, you know, oh, let's make sure we remember this, but that's just communication. Anyways, there's my brief little intro thingy that uh, it's not making you laugh, but maybe it'll make you think. Actually, I'll give you one really very sweet thing from my daughter is this right now I'm recording this on November 1st and uh, she, we just obviously had Halloween. So we came back last night from trick-or-treating, and that went fairly well. And we still had people coming up to the door. I stayed out with my son, and my wife stayed home with my our daughter. When people came to the door, we had ran out of candy, but Mackenzie actually took her own candy and gave it to trick-or-treaters, not because she didn't like the candy, far from it, but she did it because she wanted to... She didn't want to see the trick-or-treaters go away empty-handed. 
because she had so much fun. So it was a really, really sweet moment. So in this episode, we are going to go over Advocon and that whole experience that our, uh, our nonprofit, um, the ADHD Advocacy Society of BC, had last week. Actually, the week before now. It's been two weeks because I needed that week off because there was so much going on. Uh, it was really hard to recover. And I had a thought at the at the end of the conference, because it was a four-day conference. It started on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and ended on Sunday. I was getting ready to leave, and things were packing up, and you're helping pack up and stuff. And I'm just realizing it's done. Like, you're not coming back the next day for the next part. And you just realize that you have to adjust yourself and begin to sort of come down from it. Or at least I do. And I was talking with some people I had met, and they're like, well, you know, before you go, why don't you just take a walk? And in my brain, the first thing was like, God, I wish a walk could do it for me. And I basically turned around and said, a simple walk probably isn't going to be able to bring myself down to the level where I feel myself as being calm. I know myself well enough to know that after all the gigs I've done, all the shows I've worked, whether it's theater, whether it's a concert, whether it's whatever, um, being on stage, like when you're through something like that, there's a lot that gets taken out of you energy-wise. And a simple walk, it can help sometimes, but very rarely will it do it for me. Anyways, what was completely unexpected was that I just didn't realize that it was just such a, you know, after all these years, I didn't realize it was such an open, honest moment. And when I'm declaring this and the person just goes, oh, okay, well, that's good to know then. Like it came from a place, the person that came back to me with that statement, it came from a place of genuine caring. Like, oh, you actually know that that's not going to work. Um, and it was a nice feeling to have that reflected back for a change, as opposed to maybe feeling bad about it or, or pushing off the feelings, that kind of thing. So one thing I, one of the first things I really want to bring up is just how oh i said this comment early on it was on saturday at some point i believe and i know i said the same thing on the sunday but i felt like i was in a room full of my people and i don't mean that in terms of hey you have adhd you're autistic you have down syndrome you know or you're down syndrome you're this you're that no 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 what i mean is there were the what made me feel really comfortable and really good was the fact that I was in a room with people that could that I guess thought like I did and thought as critically as I did and could bring a hard question to somebody and bring that energy and directness and everything else and that felt really good you could be yourself. 
I was myself. I think at one point, I can't remember if I said it or thought it, or thought that I said it, but I felt like I was in a room full of titans. <laughs> and I say, I, I mean, I say that with, with love and affection because there are people that I was there in that room with who I can think of that are friends, and I, I am just, I learn from them every time. They are advocating every day. They have accomplished things, and that's pretty darn awesome. So for me to be up there, to be able to bring it as much as they can for what they've accomplished, because I kind of still feel like the newbie, it's a really nice feeling to have that. To even better, I think, is to feel that support, to know that when that question pops out of your mouth, that no one's going to be sitting there and gasping per se. They're going to be, oh, that's okay. Yep, that's a good question. So I think more than anything, you're validated by that, by by being in the presence of, of people that are like-minded, and that's really nice. It's also really hard for me to... It's also really hard for me to pick out one specific panel that was, you know, like the best one. They were all really damn good. And I loved hearing the perspectives, the language use, the way someone described themselves, why they described themselves that way, what their point of view was. Oh, it was so neat to hear this stuff. Um, it was, I think, a safe environment that you could... This, to me, is what like disability is about and advocacy is about. When you can say, you know what, for example, I've talked about the term how I don't like the word invisible disability. But if you're someone who's autistic, that's going to make sense because it's a literal interpretation of what they're able to, um, of how they may comprehend something. Because you can't open up your brain and look at how your brain looks like for an ADHD brain or an autistic brain or a brain that's Down syndrome. You can't physically see it. We don't have x-ray vision. But someone who's autistic will use that term invisible disability, whereas someone like myself, who lives between two worlds of the figurative side and the literal side, I'm going to sit there and say, no, that term's wrong. The part that gets me, and I know I've said this before, is when people who aren't that, or they aren't neurodiverse, they take advantage of those terms. That's the part that gets me, because they think they know what they're talking about, and it's not. And because it's invisible, it gives them an excuse to be ignorant. I hate that. So, you know, for me, uh, I can't remember where I learned this from, but somebody made a post somewhere, and they called it a non, like, uh, basically um, a non-apparent disability uh, in referring to uh, ADHD. And I was like, oh, that's a good one. That's not bad. So I've started to try to use that one more. But to hear other people describe themselves and to know that that's the point of view that they're coming from, it is very, it's very cool because it makes me feel better about when I'm choosing my language and it helps me practice learning their language. And I don't think it's any different than pronouns. I think the description of what these things are and the pronouns go hand in hand. 
And it's a pretty neat thing to, to sit there and, and see this and to realize that we have this power over these words. We have this control over these words. So if it seems overwhelming when you hear a lot of this stuff, you know what I want you to do? I want you to just take a step back and realize that you can only describe you for you. You can't describe somebody else for them. And when those terms are being used, respect that. Now, if you think someone's speaking for another group, there you go. Then step in. Then say, where's that person's voice that you're speaking for in all of this? And I see that all the time with, uh, with government surveys. I know TransLink just put out a survey. TransLink's our transportation thing around the city. Um, and I wasn't a fan of some of the language that was in there because I felt like it's speaking for other groups in a way that is, eh, it's that medical model of disability, the deficit-based sort of things. I hate that stuff. But some, for some people, it's the language they have. So respect them where they're at. I also had some really funny experiences. And the first one was a virtual event. And off the top of my head, I can't remember the name of the person who it was. I know they were in our Ministry of Education, and I think they were an executive director. Anyways, during the presentation, he talked about continuous improvement. And I was like, as soon as I heard that, I, my, my ears just perked up and I was sitting upright in my seat paying attention. And what was funny is that I went into the chat box and I said, oh, really? Are you like, is this Six Sigma? Is this Lean? Is this Cata? Is this Agile? What is this? Which improvement methodology are you using in the government? And so I know he saw the question, and he went on with his presentation. And as he's going on with this, I'm like, this is not continuous improvement. This is what? And he continues on, and I'm like, this is incremental improvement. If anything, this is improvement by, this is improvement by corporate report, which comes out every year. And so... I was at some point I, I I raised my I raised my hand and I asked a question. I said, So are you following any of these methodologies at all? And listed them off again. And he's like, No. But when he admitted that, I had said, Well, you're just doing improvements incrementally. There's nothing to do with the voice of the people, the voice of the customer. There's no eight wastes or nine wastes or whatever wastes you have in lean. You know, you have none of that stuff. And you know what? I have to say I was blown away by his response because he fully admitted that it had nothing to do with continuous improvement as I was pointing out. And I absolutely loved the fact that he admitted that. And that was great. For the most part, he basically came back saying that this was the term that they had used. He knew it was incorrect, but this is what this is the term that the government's using. And I think what was really a cool moment for me, and I realized this a bit later, is that me calling this out is a way of me saying to any government official, you cannot pull the wool over our eyes and call something continuous improvement when it's not. And I don't think people in the chat that obviously don't have 
the history knowledge that I do of, of continuous improvement, they, they realized what I was asking. And I know it was a moment like of, oh, interesting. You know, somebody's called them out. And it was a really good feeling to be able to call out um, somebody like that in such a polite way and not to mean any offense. My, I think my only concern is that the person may have felt some embarrassment. And I know I went back afterwards and I said, thank you. And I believe I even popped the person an email on the side just to say, you know, thank you for your time. I didn't mean to, you know, I I hope I didn't come across as as too harsh or whatever. I think it's important to be able to do that, to say those things, because people will remember that. I mean, you, we put government on the spot and that is what they do have to do. But again, it's that kindness piece that I keep going back to. Here is the 22nd kindness break. Mackenzie, when you go back to school, what is one kind act that you want to do? Help my teacher. Owen, when you go back to school, what is one kind act that you can do? Like listening when she's talking. Hi, this is Siobhan from the Love and Kindness Project Foundation. Check out loveandkindnessproject.org and find other ways to carry out kind acts or start a kindness project of your own. I do have one more story that's very similar that happened on the Sunday. And we had one of the deputy ministers uh, do a presentation and it was about accessibility. And so, super nice guy. Um, and you know what? Honest to God, many of the government ministers are massively nice. You'd be surprised at how welcoming and friendly they really are. But... This was interesting because our province has put in a accessibility committee into municipalities that are supposed to be made up of at least 50% people with lived or first-hand experience, and um, the rest, I guess, can be essentially a mix. So what is interesting is that the makeup of, of this committee is very... I don't know what the word is. Um, it's very loose, and there's no there's no real penalties attached to doing things. As as the deputy minister said to me, that they're going for a carrot approach, not a carrot and stick approach. And so, you know, if they don't implement these accessibility things, it's it's not like people are going to be fined millions of dollars. They'd rather have collaboration. I think the part that bugs me, which I expressed to him, was that if you have organizations that represent um, a large group of people, then I don't think that's the same as having the lived firsthand experience. Um, And it bugs me because it's like, hey, let's just call organization that handles this disability and they can speak for everybody. But it's not the same as hearing it from the firsthand experience of somebody else. And I think that's a big problem. I do have a recording of the conversation, oh well, of the entire uh, question and answer section of of what took place, and I wanted to share it. But what I'm hoping you hear come through this question and this interaction is you hear kindness, you don't hear rudeness. And I know that you're missing the buildup of the previous 10 minutes or what have you, but I don't know if it really makes a difference in this case. 
Where's the balance on the committees? You've got the organization versus the lived experience. And if I think of what goes on in Surrey, because I'm going to pick on that one, for example, um, you have uh, the representation for autism, for example, is through CAN or Canucks Autism Network. But as far as I am aware, and it's a big, I mean, it's a big enough uh, group, um, there's nobody like an ADHD or like myself is not on there. Um, the uh, the organization representation of kind of autism. There's nobody. There's nobody with the lived autistic experience, um, other than myself as a as a parent of a child who's autistic. Um, where's that balance? Uh, because we're talking about that first-person voice, so how do we get those voices out to the front other than having an organization uh, that's a large machine, you know, like Canon, I'm not disparaging Canon in any way. Um, how do we get those voices to the front and have the priorities? I have more questions, but I thought I'd just go easy first. <laughs> that's the easy question? Yes. <laughs> it's such a good question. And, you know, ultimately, I don't know that I have all the answers um, to a question like this. But there's a couple of things. Um, um, I've come over the years to think of the disability community as a bit of a big family, right? Um, and the thing about families, you know, that we come together um, and we try to work towards common cause um, as much as we can. We also have times when we have arguments with one another. <laughs> and when you're trying to decide who's going to take up the trash and who's going to clean the kitchen. And, um, and, um, and one of the things that I, that I know and I'm so cognizant about is as we implement this legislation, um, that there's the risk that we move from the disability community as a big family that's working together to achieve goals into a more fractured, you know, what are we doing in respect to this community within the, within the uh, broader community or this group? And I think that that's a natural part of the tension in the work that we do. It's okay um, that you have, um, you know, diverse um, individuals um, across the disability community who have different priorities, different needs, different goals. Um, and I think that it's important that people continue to speak about and advocate um, in respect of that uniqueness. And I also really hope um, that people with disabilities are doing what they what they can to maintain co to remain cohesive and to recognize that where we make progress typically on one aspect of accessibility, we're generally moving the needle uh, forward for everyone, whether it's creating greater awareness of inclusion and accessibility priorities generally. Um, as to how do we actually find that balance in the context of being on the ground doing the nitty gritty work, um, I think the people who don't see the representation, it's incumbent on um, people and organizations who don't see the um, representation that they'd like to see to put up their hands and to say, um, you know, I really think that you want to see that way, or you really feel like I see these perspectives reflected. Um, I also have a lot of sympathy for organizations that are doing this work, right? Um, you have a number of organizations, some of which um, have a long track record in working on accessibility and inclusion issues, and some of which this work is newer to. And you look out at the disability community and you're trying to figure out, how do I do the right things, say the right things, take on the right projects across all of the, the different priorities of the community? And those aren't easy questions to answer 
Um, we see a lot of organizations that are trying to do that work in good faith, and they're going to make mistakes along the way. Um, and I, I really hope that people are prioritizing trying to be constructive and helpful, um, and recognizing that this is a journey. Um, you know, this isn't. Um, we're, we're, we're not going to get to all the solutions overnight. The one issue I'm going to take uh, is. I've heard this before where people talk about, oh, it's a family. No, it's not. It really isn't. You hear things in work circles like, oh, this is my work family. No, because your work, your place of employment, would can you without question and can can you without question, and a corporation wouldn't bat an eye at laying you off or letting you go. For that matter, I don't think families would cut funding off for disabilities. They wouldn't take away services. And this is what governments have done. And this is where the fracture lies within the disability community. You have one disability, in the case of our province here in BC, autism that's funded, but all the other ones are not. Everybody else is going, help us, please help us, do something for us. And I think what people don't realize is that these groups, whether they're advocacy groups or disability groups or what have you, they are, they're not aligned. They most likely, I mean, yeah, I mean, everybody knows everybody. That's one thing. But it's not like organizations have shared mandates or something like that. They're not, quote unquote, synergized. Uh, that just means to align values. And that's what makes things fractured ultimately and governments know this and they take advantage of this it's unfortunate but one thing i know it does for me is that it makes me try to bring people closer together and find that common ground to work together so you've got a bigger voice and i think it's it's really important to get as many people as you can on your side when you're sitting there pushing for change find that common ground unite everyone so while we're not a family the actions or inactions that a government takes or a party takes impacts my family and other families. And the final thing that I wanted to bring up that this conference has done for me is I feel like it's validated my own voice. This conference helped me find a strength I think I might have been ignoring for a bit and put some things in a context I just wasn't expecting. And I think what's really cool is that, for the most part, as I've said to people, is I've turned off my brain, and this is the direction I've gone. Uh, the opportunities that have opened up, I've been able to follow them and come up with awesome ideas, and chasing those down, it's, it's a really good feeling. And it's something that I feel like it can't be taken away. My name is Mark Smeets, and I'm an advocate. All right, so let's end it there. Wherever you are, stay safe, keep advocating, keep speaking up for others, and um, keep being you, because you are enough. Thank you for listening to our show. If you're hearing this message, you've reached the end of the episode, and for that, I want to say thank you. I hope you have enjoyed what you've heard and are walking away with newfound knowledge. We are the ADHD family. See you soon for a new episode.
If you want to be a guest on the show or know someone who would make a great guest, contact me through our Facebook page. This podcast is open to everyone. You don't need to be an expert, just passionate and want to see change. The opinions expressed by the host and guest are not associated with any employer or organization unless otherwise stated. Mm-hmm.